Hello, so I'm Rich Tanksley, and uh, my title is Senior Vice President Special Projects for a consulting company called New Bridges. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Rich. Thanks. So what bridges are you guys building around uh, <laughs> these days? What's the most important thing in terms of your personal agenda at uh, New Bridges at the moment? So New Bridges is, is really just that. It's a bridge, and it's acting as a bridge uh, between Silicon Valley and Africa. Um, the founders are a Nigerian woman and an American guy. They live in Silicon Valley. And the, the biggest contract that we have right now is a program with General Electric that teaches people how to manufacture products with 3D printers and then how to build a business around those products. So we're basically trying to build local manufacturing capacity in Nigeria. And in terms of your experience on the continent, what are some of the, the biggest gaps in knowledge, in mindset, perhaps in resource that you've identified between these two places you're trying to bridge? Probably the, the biggest problem is a, an education system that in most countries I've been to in Africa is, is completely broken. And maybe even to a point where it does a disservice to people that go through it as opposed to them wandering around the street or watching TV or pulling things off YouTube. Well, that's saying a lot given you're from the States. Not many people think much of your education system. What specifically do you think? So, you know, I've, I've hired uh, hundreds of people um, in uh, Nigeria. I've hired people in Ghana. I've hired people in Cameroon. And I think the, the biggest thing um, that's holding most companies back and building companies in a lot of the countries that I've been in Africa is um, people that graduate from an education system without the ability to think critically. So they've learned how to memorize and regurgitate. And it's, you know, if you only know how to memorize and regurgitate, you're kind of useless as an employee unless you're doing something mindless and, and repetitive. It's a, I suppose on some level it's similar to why economics graduates are the toast of the town in, in developed economies as well, where, I mean, I've heard similar uh, uh, criticism of education in general, or, it's, or, or should I say uh, establishment education in general. What's particularly wrong with, with Africa? Is it that we've sort of bought into everything that was done abroad in the context of, say, you know, what What was gleaned from the colonial era? What's the problem? Is it a mindset issue? Are the skills not at par? What is it? I think it's a mindset issue. I mean, you have really, really smart people that want to learn. So an example, say you go to a school in Nigeria, and if it's a university, and you may have a classroom that's designed to seat 800 people. And they have a PA system, but it doesn't work. Uh, there is an air, con air conditioning system, but it doesn't work. And so if you want to learn what you have to do, you have to get there early. You have to be prepared to sweat. You have to get up front because the PA system doesn't work. You're not going to hear the instructor. So if you want to get an education, you have to really, really work at it. Whereas in most developed countries, I mean, you just show up for school and you sit there and you can be half asleep and you're getting, given all the resources to be successful and to learn. But, uh, you know, in Nigeria, as a good example, you have to work really hard if you want to learn. I think there's also a problem with, with a mindset. I mean, it's uh, the education system in Nigeria is based on the, the British rote system, which is basically, you know, I stand up there, I say stuff, you memorize it, and for the test you regurgitate it back, which is great if you want to be an actor and, and memorize your lines. 
but if you want to solve problems and figure out innovative ways to do things that that doesn't work and so what is your what are you doing to remedy this the situation because it sounds quite dire i have to be honest listening to you talk about it um, but i imagine there's a little more than a glimmer of hope you're sensing sure I guess I learned how to teach people critical thinking skills because it, it is possible. Um, when I was at MEST in Ghana, so MEST was a graduate school uh, in software development. We taught people how to write software and how to start software companies, and then we funded their companies. And it, in the beginning, it was a two-year program. So students would come in, and for two years, we'd teach them software development and how to start companies. But we realized in the beginning, the first things we had to teach them was critical thinking skills, you know, how to innovate, how to think outside the box. And there are ways to do it, and it's possible, and it works. And fortunately, I think the system has, the education system in Ghana has improved, and the, the, the landscape of thought and innovation has advanced to a point where now, mess, the program is only one year because people are coming in already with the critical thinking skills. So, I mean, it's definitely dire, dire, and you have an education system, um, for example, in Nigeria, that's overwhelmed by too many people and not enough resources. But there are people that are coming out of the education system with critical thinking skills, or they're going through programs like the one that we're running right now, uh, where they were not expressly teaching critical thinking skills, but through the program, they learn the critical thinking skills. So we cover on the African Tech Roundup uh, quite extensively uh, you know, on some of the gaps in understanding, say, p- foreigners basically have about the continent when they approach it in terms of like uh, making calculations around like potential opportunities or the, the, the need with the solutions need to be found for, for perceived problems and things like that. What are some of the most common misconceptions you've encountered in that in that regard, as someone who's been on the continent for a while now, uh, you you must interact quite frequently with people who come here thinking, "Hey, let's go help Africa." You know what? What are some of the misconceptions around that? I mean, obviously, the biggest misconception is that Africa is a country and that it's all the same. But I mean, it's every single country is so distinct, and even different regions of different countries are are completely different. And your marketing strategies that work in one region will not work in another. Definitely, your marketing strategies that work in one country won't work. And another, so you really have to see it as a bunch of individual countries. And then, I think one of the biggest misperceptions I see is people think, okay, we want to do business in Africa. We have this company. We're going to modify the model. Maybe it will fit the market, and we'll go and spend a couple months there, and then we'll leave. And it just won't work like that. You have to be there. You have to be there, driving the business, watching the business, helping it grow, adjusting constantly, and. If you want to do business in Africa, but you're not willing to go and live in Africa, then you probably should do something else. Or find a really, really good, strong local partner, which is going to require you to be in-country for at least a year. And so, again, given your experience on the continent, uh, what are some of the most commonly peddled hindrances to people approaching the continent as just another business opportunity? I think, you know, the fact that you can't do business over email in most countries that I've been in in Africa, you know, you have to, all business is done face-to-face. So that's a, that's a big hindrance because, I mean, in the U.S., I could start a business and get a multi-billion dollar contract and, and start doing it without ever meeting the people that gave me the contract. It could all be over email. 
And in most of the countries that I've been in in Africa, you absolutely cannot do that. You have to be there. You have to stand face-to-face with people. You have to probably go to their house and know where they live uh, so that you can build, build this trust. And so in your mind, is that, is that a nuance or a hindrance? How, or what do you see that? Inconvenience? And in context, is that the kind of, are those the kind of things that keep people from thinking about Africa as a place they want to go to do business? I'm trying to get into the psyche of someone sitting in blessed Helsinki or whatever going, hmm, listening to the conversation going, well, if I can't you know, send a few emails and make business happen, I guess Africa is not for me. Is that really how it works? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a hindrance in that, say, uh, you're in Helsinki and you need some product or something that's manufactured in, in Africa. Uh, so you find you Google and you find, hey, this guy is making this product that's the perfect fit for what we need. So you send an email, and the email bounces. So you go to the website, you call the number. The number doesn't go through. I mean, this is is very normal. So if you really want to do business in Africa, I mean, the easiest way to do it instead of sending emails is hop on a plane and go and meet people. You wear another hat, uh, a business called Pulse. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Pulse is uh, an online media company that uh, was founded by Ring EA, which is the oldest and largest media company in Switzerland. And they had success in emerging markets, building media properties, and they decided, okay, let's try Africa. And the first market they picked, they're like, well, let's just jump in head first, and we'll, we'll do it in Nigeria. So uh, Pulse is about five years old in Nigeria. It's grown from nothing to around 5 million monthly unique visitors, making it uh, one of the largest uh, online media companies uh, in Nigeria. And uh, there's an affiliation with Business Insider, which of course is a, is a brand that Ringier owns. T- tell me about uh, uh, how that works in terms of Business Insider Africa. So yeah, Business Insider uh, has, has lots of content that, that Pulse wanted. So it was a partnership acquisition <laughs> deal, basically, uh, so that that... Uh, it's just a, a natural extension of Pulse's content. You know, Business Insider had more business-type content. Uh, Pulse had business content but wasn't doing it as well as Business Insider. So it really sort of helped to to add to the, the business-y content that Pulse has. And so what do you consider is the sort of the biggest commercial opportunity within digital media on the continent in your mind? So Pulse has 5 million monthly unique visitors in a market with approximately 80 to 90 million subscribers. So contextualize this for view, uh, our audience listing abroad in terms of the value of such an audience relative to, say, 5 million uh, unique visitors in a more you know developed country. Um, in terms of revenue? Uh, yeah, in terms of commercial potential, like what does it translate to in terms of uh, yeah, commercial value? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely enough to cover your operating costs for a, a massive company. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say massive, but Pulse is, is relatively big with lots of resources and video production and studios and all of that. And at 5 million monthly uniques, we, we cover our costs and are starting to, to make money. And how big, roughly, people-wise? Uh, about uh, 150 people. Okay, so that is fairly big, um, especially in the context of media incumbents like nation media for example independent media in south africa all sort of or times media for example all sort of trying to just shed um it doesn't sound like you guys are anywhere near trying to <laughs> reduce the type of the number of people you have on stock yeah i mean pulse started as digital native so there was never any print publication whatsoever it started very lean 
digital. So yeah, we don't, uh, we're still in a growth phase. We're still adding users. We're still, um, you know, growing, growing the company and getting more clients. So obviously we have to continue to grow to support that. And is survival in this space predicated on, on having a partner like Ringier on board, i.e. access to uh, the type of funding that gives you the runway to to survive into sustainability, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think the funding from Ringier was critical because you know if you're trying to build a, an audience, a digital audience, it's really easy to throw money at it and, and build the audience. I mean, through Google ads and Facebook ads and all of that. But I think the most important thing that Ringier brought to the table is is experience. I mean, if you go to Pulse and you look at the you know the way they strategize on uh, the type of content that goes up, the quality of the content, uh, having a link to all the social media pages and the quality that goes into the social media pages, if you look at that and compare it to some of the the indigenous companies who are doing a fantastic job, they just don't have 180 years of experience in media to bring to the table. How is it? It sounds like BuzzFeed almost like when you explain it. So, uh, again, to a question I, I, I asked earlier, in terms of commercial potential, what do you see as the next sort of big thing in this space in terms of, of digital media on the continent? Well, video obviously is, is huge. Um, when Pulse started, video was 0% of our revenue. And now I think it's close to 50%. So video is growing really fast. And as internet gets cheaper and better, which it needs to, uh, video will just become more and more important. And how do you guys typically monetize your content? Is it, um, is everything, is it ad revenue? Is it, uh, are you guys dabbling with native content? What is it? So I would say traditional banner ads is maybe 5% of our revenue. The most of the revenue comes from doing 360 campaigns for large brands. So for example, if you're Nestle, and you have a new product that comes out and you want to get it in front of Nigerian consumers, well, you don't just put banner ads that say Nestle. You do events, which we promote. We take video. We produce package video from the events. Then we do native content about the product. Then we push all of that on social media. We do Facebook live streaming um, from events, from activations. Uh, so incorporating every every piece of media that we have into a campaign that really really gets really reaches the consumers you sounds like you're trying to be brand a brand's best friend so to speak yeah exactly so tell me what uh in terms of uh potential isn't hasn't quite been realized in terms of milking or exploiting you know digital media on the continent relative to you know a more mature market i used buzzfeed as a as a throwaway example but perhaps they're a good example of what the future might look like if things go in that direction for the continent, but what's currently unrealized in this context? Well, I mean, I think the the elephant in the room is that Pulse is one of the biggest online media companies in Nigeria, and we have maybe uh, 3.5% of the entire market of internet users. So there's you know, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people out there that aren't getting the content. So I think reaching those people is the you know the next the next thing to do you know they're they may be using uh, they're reading offline media they're listening to radio but they're not on their smartphone consuming videos and and going to our site because like i said we only have five million monthly uniques in a market with maybe 90 million connected internet users
Do you guys have plans to grow into the rest of Africa? I know Ringe is currently taking on Nation Media in East Africa, for example. And um, does your partnership with them give you access to their footprint elsewhere? Yeah, so Ringe definitely wants to to be the largest media company on the continent because one that that gives you obviously revenue, but it allows you to do pan-African spends for large brands. So huge brands that want to reach consumers in all those markets now can you know write one check and reach people in Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Senegal who understand that market. And so assuming Nasperis allows you guys to do that, say in Southern Africa or other parts of Africa where they dominate or, you know, East Africa, the you know, nation media continues to struggle and, and that becomes a thing. What's Ringier's sort of, po- not policy, but what, what, what in, your, in your interactions with them as, as an investor, what's their um, take on the importance of like local content and local producers and, and producing locally and that kind of thing? I would say that they're really focused on local for example, when I was the CEO of Pulse, I was the only expat that worked at Pulse, and everybody else was Nigerian. And when I retired as CEO, they didn't replace me. The The local team that, that I built is running the show. So you have Nigerians that are basically running now a, a com- company that's almost 100% Nigerian. So Ringe understands the the importance of having local people and local content uh, in the markets. Okay. And in in your experience, I mean, you must be sensitive to some of the debates in the blogosphere at the moment around uh, investor bias and and how uh, certainly expats and sort of Ivy Leaguers seem to have a leg up on anyone else on the continent trying to look for money, even with a good idea or great traction, uh, a proven concept, all of the above. What, What do you make of all that? How do we get everyone to win? So I think there, I mean, there's definitely an investor bias towards people that are, are Western. But the bias, it starts in the continent. It doesn't start outside the continent. So, Ooh, please, please do tell. So, um, for example, you know, I, I, have, uh, I, do cons- I do consulting also on my own. And we also, you know, through New Bridges, we have Nigerians that will pay us in advance for a contract, massive amounts of money in advance for a contract and just boom because they have me and they trust me because I'm a white guy from the US. So people inherently trust me. Nigerians trust me. So when investors are looking to invest in the market, you know, they say, okay, we don't know the Nigerians, but we know this guy, Rich, who, because he's American, because he's a white guy, we're going to trust him. So the bias is not just from Silicon Valley, but it's also, it's also in the continent. I mean, people will, will do things with me. They will give me money in advance. They'll, they'll pay me for things that I haven't delivered just because uh, I'm a white guy from the U.S. If you can. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of your equivalent on the continent. Um, like what, what is your sense of how to overcome that from a pragmatic standpoint? Give some pragmatic tips for someone in your position, a contemporary who, who might want to start to assert themselves as successfully as you have in, in, in an African context. Yeah, I think one of the things that would help a lot is uh, controlling the narrative more about what happens uh, in investing in Nigeria. Because the stories that reach the West are the stories where everything went wrong. And But the story about where someone invested in a Nigerian founder 
and he took that money and used it very well. Maybe the startup succeeded or, or didn't succeed, but he wisely managed that money for the investor. Those stories don't come out. It's only a story about, you know, an investor gave a guy a million dollars and he ran off with it or, you know, bought a Range Rover or something. So one, controlling the narrative so that, uh, you know, people do see those successes. And then two, I mean, every business relationship should be based on trust. And if you're, say, an investor in Silicon Valley and you want to invest in a Nigerian company and you go and you spend a week and you meet the founder and you think, okay, this is great, and you give him some money and then he runs off with it. Well, what you didn't do was establish a trust relationship. And meeting someone for a week is not enough to trust them. You know, in Silicon Valley, people are investing in guys they went to college with, so they lived with them in their same dormitory for four years. Okay, so you need to have that kind of relationship with people if you're going to invest in them. So, like I said, you need to be there. You know, if you're if you have an office, you know, if you're a Silicon Valley investor and you have an office in Lagos, and you're dealing with and talking to and working with people that you might invest with every single day, and you know them, and you visit their families, and you go to their weddings and their funerals, and and you know where their house is, and you've been to their village, you know, now you've established a trust relationship. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the fault of the the people that aren't, you know, getting to know the people they're investing in enough. And I know it takes time, you know, but this is an emerging market, and, and the rules are different. You have to do things differently than you do uh, in the U.S. And so finally, we're at the Afrobytes Tech Conference uh, 2017. What's been your most useful interaction or... Uh, the most valuable insight you've gleaned from this event, perhaps a person you met? I think the the best thing about it is when I first started going to conferences like this maybe five years ago, it, the it was everything was very new. And it was like, okay, you know, the most important thing was Africa is, is not a country. But this conference is way beyond that, and it's... Uh, we're not talking about dialogue anymore. We're talking about action. Let's Let's do stuff. Do you want to invest? Well, for example, I have a company. If you want a market entry strategy for Nigeria, come to me. We will do it. Instead of, okay, what can we do to help improve things in Africa? What can we do to help build businesses in Africa? It's more people connecting who are ready to actually do the business. And I'm one of them. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rich. Uh, uh, all the best with uh, all your endeavors, man. Thank you very much. It's nice to, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you.